0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit Gospelite.org. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter number 14. Mark 14 in your Bibles. Now, we have been for 14 weeks in the Gospel of Mark. And we've been talking about growing in the likeness of Christ. We've not been able to cover every single chapter verse by verse. What we've done is we've stayed uh, usually, well, I guess last Sunday we did. We went through the entire chapter. That was fun. Took a little extra time. Uh, Today, we'll just take a portion of the book of Mark beginning in the third verse, and we'll study that together and journey through that together. It's a powerful passage of Scripture, and I want to read in just a moment an episode, an episode in the life of Christ that takes place After Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now this episode in the book of Mark chapter 14 is also in every other gospel. It's an amazing little story. It's got some drama involved in it. We may even refer to some of the other accounts in some of the other gospels to add to the story of Mark's account. But there's a feast and that feast has been set to celebrate the fact that Lazarus was raised from the dead. It takes place in the home of Simon the leper. And it's at this table. In fact, the text actually speaks about a table that they're sitting around. And Lazarus is there because Lazarus is alive. Amen. He's there. And Martha is there. And Mary is there. And of course, Jesus is there as well. I want you to see the setting of this dramatic situation that you're about to be blessed with. So look with me at Mark chapter 14 and let's read through this and just uh, notice how amazing this is, all right? And while I was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was, speaking about Jesus, reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard. That this perfume, this was perfume, this was... Uh, Spike Nard, if you will. It's uh, estimated that this particular box of ointment, that flask of ointment that Mary was bringing into this dramatic scene was worth one year's of wages. And there's some significance to that as we stay through to the end of the story. The Bible goes on to say in the next two words of the text, it was very costly. (laughs) And it was very costly. First of all, can you imagine how much is one year's worth of wages to you? I know we're all in different categories but how much would it be for you to say, I'm going to offer one year of my wages for this particular situation so that's what we're dealing with here it's, a, it's, it's, just a, it's good to know that it wasn't something that was not valuable, very valuable and what she did with this alabaster flask is she broke it And then she poured it over his head. And another gospel tells us she also poured it over his hair and over his feet. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Mark talks about there were several that scolded her. The gospel of John chapter 12 tells us, who exactly it was that initiated the the anger and the argument and the the frustration. It was Judas. And obviously when Judas got upset, others got upset with him. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now I want you to remember as we move into the story and, and speak and teach this message, I want you to remember that Statement that Jesus said. Jesus called this a beautiful thing. A good work. He said, For you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good to them. But you'll not always have me. I think verse 8 is the key verse. It's probably the verse we're going to refer back to as much or more than any other uh, of the verses in the text. Verse 8 says this, She has done what she could she has anointed my body beforehand for burial and truly I say to you wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world think about that where is the gospel being proclaimed right now hot springs Arkansas this verse in many ways is prophetic Think about how awesome it is to know that we today are sitting in an auditorium and we are still proclaiming the glorious event that took place in this text today in the world in Hot Springs. How true it was when Jesus said that. Today we are actually doing exactly what Jesus said. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world. Could I just say this morning for our sake, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So let me set the scene here. Again, just it's important that you get yourself into the middle of this scene. Try to do that with me if you can. Just enter into the story. Here we have Jesus. And he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. You can imagine that's quite a celebration. And so they're inviting people to this feast. And it's at the home of Simon the leper. They're going to celebrate. And then Mary... Mary is looking into the face of Jesus and as she looks into the face of Jesus, it seems as if she is so overcome with emotion and love that she leaves the room. And maybe at first nobody know why exactly she left the room. But she went to another room and she grabbed something and she comes back into the room and she has this alabaster flask of ointment and she doesn't care. Though other people are complaining and criticizing, she doesn't seem to care what other people are saying. She did something incredibly beautiful and meaningful. She broke the container and she lavishly anoints the head and the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some at the table begin to criticize what she did. But she has her eyes fixed on Jesus. She's broken and spilled out for the love of Jesus. So who was this woman? Who was she? Mary. And and what kind of woman was she? And is it significant for any of us here this morning to consider... What brought Mary to this place of surrender? And so I have six observations to give you this morning. And as I give you these observations, I would like for you to consider yourself. I would ask that you would take a moment in this next few minutes and, and, and put yourself in the story and ask yourself as we go through these observations, is this me? And if it is you, or if it isn't it you, but it's who you want to be, not Mary, but these observations, then I would ask that you would consider asking the Holy Spirit of God to move and work and speak, especially as we respond in a few moments. So observation number one, Mary, she was just an ordinary person. She's just an ordinary post person. In fact, in the Bible, she's actually known as Martha's sister. That's who she's known for. Martha was this type A personality. She would have been the go-to person at church. If you need something done, call Martha. She'll do it. She'll do anything because she can do anything. She's type A. She's got all the gifts, all the talents. And by the way, it doesn't hurt that she's a great cook. She organizes. She's busy. She's skilled. She's active. She's even efficient. But it wasn't Martha that did this thing that lasted forever. It was Martha's sister. Just an ordinary person. And I know that you won't take this in a critical way because I'm including myself in this assessment. But if I can be honest, I look out across this auditorium, and I did this at the 9 o'clock hour, and truly what I see here today in the balcony on the main floor is just an auditorium filled of ordinary people. Wait a minute, Pastor? No, we've already decided in that song we sang a moment ago that I'm going to lay down my pride as I look at the cross. Amen? So we're just ordinary this morning. At least human me for the moment. I see an auditorium full of ordinary people. But don't you ever insult God by saying that God cannot use you because God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things with them. You see, in this story, it was God, in fact, who through Mary, it was God who did this through her, and an extraordinary thing that we're speaking about this morning, 2,000 years after it happened. It Reminds me of a a poem that I memorized years ago about ordinary people. And it goes like this. I have no gift for singing. I cannot make a speech. I am no good at music. I know I cannot teach. I am no good at leading. I can't organize. And anything I write (laughs) would never win a prize. But at the roll call in the meetings... I always answer here. When others are performing, I lend a listening ear. And after the program is over, I, I praise its every part. <laughs> my words are not to flatter. I, I mean them from my heart. It seems my only talent is neither big nor rare just to listen and encourage and to fill a vacant chair. But all the gifted people Could not so brightly shine were it not for those who used a talent such as mine. You see, sometimes I think we're looking to be in this place of notoriety and position. But the fact of the matter is, is all of us today have been anointed by God in an unusual way to bring him glory through his son, Jesus Christ Christ. And so notice the Bible says here about this ordinary person in verse number 8. She has done what she could. I think that is a very key statement. And and, and I mentioned a moment ago, it's it's the key verse in the text. So as a result of reading that in the text, I want to ask everyone in the building a very simple question. Here it is. Is there anyone here who cannot do... What you can do. It's not a trick question, but I'm going to ask it again because I want you to think about it. What is your answer to this question? Is there anybody here who can't do what you can do? Because Jesus didn't say to Mary or about Mary, she has done what she can't do. He didn't say that. He said she has done what she can could and the only thing that jesus is asking of you and the only thing that jesus is asking of me is what can you do with his enablement with him helping you with him giving you the strength to do it what can you do like the old song says that we used to sing if just a cup of water i place within your hand then just a cup of water is all that i demand She has done what she could. May we all stop comparing ourselves to other people. How foolish is that? Well, well, preacher, you don't understand. I I probably could do that too if I was them, if if I was Paul in the Bible, or if I was Peter or John or James, or if I was Billy Graham. God made you an ordinary person so he could do extraordinary things. And God is concerned about you today, saying, God, this, me, what I've got, is what I offer to you today. She was just an ordinary person. Number two, so who was this woman? Well, well, she was an ordinary woman. But what, why did she do what she did? Well, let's go to verse number eight again and see if we can figure that out. It says here in verse number eight, she has done what she could, and here's what sh- why she did it. She has anointed my body beforehand, or beforehand, for burial. She was, secondly, an observant person. She was ordinary, but she was observant because, you see, Mary knew something that all of the others at the table did not know. She knew that in just a few days that Jesus would go to dark Gethsemane and ugly Calvary and lay down his life for the sins of mankind. She knew that. She, it says, anointed the body of Jesus beforehand. Martha was serving. Martha was busy. Martha was active. She didn't know it. But Mary did know it. And and the question may come as to why we think Mary would have known it. And and my guess is, and I, I, I can only imagine, in fact, I think there are places in Scripture where we can see. In fact, one of the other accounts actually leads us to believe that this was not the first time that Mary had sat at the feet of Jesus. She had formed a habit of spending time with Jesus at his feet, listening to Jesus and learning from Jesus. This was not her first time. In fact, as we look at the story in Luke in chapter 10, there's an account of the story that gives us another dramatic version. It's the same story, but it speaks about Martha actually busting into this room where Mary was pouring out this alabaster flax of ointment. And Martha gets upset herself and she says, Jesus... Would you tell Mary to get in the kitchen? There's a lot of work to do in here. We've got a lot to do. And would you tell her to cut whatever she's doing out and get in the kitchen? And Jesus says, in a sense, settle down, Martha. Relax. Take a chill pill. Thought we'd say it today, right? Mary, she's chosen the good work. This is the beautiful thing. Because the best time you will ever spend is not in the kitchen working for Jesus, but there at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. Man, I need this. Anybody else need this? I need this. I'm a busy person. I like to work, and sometimes... Man, my mind can race as to all the things that I need to do. And can I confess to you this morning that sometimes I don't choose the good work? I'm Martha. I'm the guy that's running into the room and saying, Hey, God, let's go, let's go. we got to get this done. we got to go. we got to. And this morning, in conviction and with humility, I say, Jesus, I need you to remind me that the beautiful thing and the best thing is not to be in the kitchen working for you but to be at your feet, learning from you. She was an observant person. Mary had insight into the heart of God because she worshiped at the feet of Jesus. I think this would be a good question to ask us this morning as we are provoking our our, our thinking about this, is do you have a quiet time with Jesus every day? I asked all that question this morning. What is the significance of that? And so what I did was I just borrowed from other men who maybe some would know, some would not know, some who have gone on, some who are still alive, and let's just hear what they have to say. Shut the world out, Andrew Murray says. Withdraw from all worldly thoughts and occupations and shut yourself in alone with God to pray to him in secret. Let this be your chief object in prayer to realize the presence. I love that. To realize it. You are in the presence of the Heavenly Father. Charles Stanley said, Oftentimes God wants us to sit before Him in quietness. He doesn't want us to do all the talking. As Isaiah 30, verse 15 says, in quiet and confidence in quiet, and confidence. That's where you get your strength. R.F. Horton says, whether the desire for prayer is on you or not, whether you feel like it or not, get to your closet at a set time. Shut yourself in with God. Wait upon him. Seek his face. Again, beautiful words. Realize him. That sometimes takes a while. Does it for you? That's the quiet part. Realize him and then pray. Leonard Ravenhill, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. R.A. Torrey, if we would pray aright, the first thing we should do is to see to it that we really get an audience with God. That we really get into his very presence before a word, of petition is offered. We should have the definite consciousness that we are talking to God. And should believe that he is listening and is going to grant the thing that we ask of him. And these are just quotes of men that are reminding us of the importance of our quiet time with God. I remember being with a great preacher that passed away a few years ago from Memphis, Tennessee. Adrian Rogers in a little intimate pastor's seminar and he asked for questions. And one of the questions was, from, not for from me, but from someone else, was, Dr. Rogers, do you have any regrets? His body filled with cancer. He had weeks, maybe months to live. Standing feebly in that pulpit as he spoke to a 100 pastors in, in Sevierville, Tennessee. He said, oh, that's easy. I have only one regret. I wish I would have spent more time at the feet of Jesus. I never forgot that. I was in the building. I was in the room with what I would consider to be, and I know you'll take this right, As a, I, I I, I've got to be careful about heroes, but could I just be human for a moment with my hero? And he said, I've got one regret that I would have spent more time at the feet of Jesus. Oh, may we take that as a a correction or as an admonition. All of us here today, let's be observant. Mary chose the beautiful thing. She was an ordinary person. She was an observant person. Number three, she was an oblivious person. Now, let me take a moment to explain that. That's kind of a strange one. Oblivious? What do you mean she was an oblivious person? Well, while Mary was anointing the feet of Jesus, the the hair of Jesus, the the head of Jesus, while Mary was doing that, the Bible says there was someone whose name was Judas and others who were upset, ticked off, mad. And the Bible says in Mark in chapter number 14, in verse 4 and verse 5, there were some who said to themselves, indignantly. Why was the ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor and they scolded her. John gives us more insight into this in John chapter number 12 and verse number 4 through 6. He says, but Judas Iscariot, there it is, he was kind of the leader of this, of this frustration, this anger, this critique, this criticism. He was the lead naysayer. And Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, "Why was this me not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor?" He said this not because he cared about the poor, but he was a thief, and having cha- charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to some of what was in it. No doubt, Judas Iscariot started the criticism, and others joined in. Isn't that how it goes on Facebook? The critic, and then the thread. Everybody chimes in. and Before you know it, there's this explosion of criticism and arguing and fighting. And a lot of it is done over things that bring shame to Jesus Christ as the world watches how often those who criticize others the most are themselves guilty of hidden sins that are far worse for some reason they think they can make themselves look better by making others look worse and here is Mary oblivious Oblivious to the criticism. Why? Because she's having a wonderful time worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And the criticism of Judas did not bother her. In fact, I love this part. Jesus chimes in and defends her. Jesus is our defender. We don't have to answer our critics. We can be oblivious to them. Jesus will take care of it like he did for Mary in verse 6. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. Church, I think we learn from this that we should fall so in love with Jesus that we are not concerned about the naysayers. We are not concerned about the critics. We're just so in love with Jesus. In fact, the best way to overcome your critics is to just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and accomplish what he's told you to do. But let me be clear and say this today. That if you openly and publicly and gloriously and freely and with reckless, abandoned love and serve Jesus Christ, there will always be those who will call you a fool, a freak, and a fanatic. Every time. I can assure you, I promise you this, that you you take a stand for Christ or you worship Christ or even sometimes in the church you know what was wrong with that person they had both hands in the air what a weirdo did you see they just couldn't stay still and we tend even in in the context of church to be critical of those around us who are a little different than us who worship different by the way that goes just as much for those who worship a little more With their hands and and those that don't, we shouldn't be critic of the others. We should have our eyes fixed on Jesus that we're not concerned about others. We're concerned about worshiping him. But I can assure you, if you love Jesus with reckless abandon, you'll be called a fool. You'll be called a freak. You'll be called a fanatic. How often have I had to tell my kids this? I mean, how often have I had to in in, in teaching them about how the world is going to respond to their surrender to Christ? Don't expect everybody to just be happy about that and and think you're cool. In fact, you're not going to be received that way. If you love Jesus with all your heart, you're going to be critiqued and criticized and, 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 and cut down. But be oblivious to that. Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The only way to avoid criticism is to say nothing and do nothing and be nothing. Then if you do that, they criticize you for saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. You can't really win with a critic. So just keep your eyes on Jesus. She was an ordinary person. She was an observant person. She was an oblivious person. Number four, she was an obedient person. You see, God had moved on her to do something, and and she did. She did what God had moved her to do. This is so important because we're not speaking about doing things in the flesh. We're talking about the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is something that Jesus does through us. When we are prompted by the Holy Spirit of God... We need to obey because obedience is the key to whether or not we have recognized Jesus as Lord. This is why Jesus said, why call ye me Lord? why Why do you say Jesus is Lord but you don't do the things that I have said? Church, we must get serious about seizing the opportunity to worship and serve Jesus like we never have before. I believe that is the reason for the message. Growing in the likeness of Christ. Serving with reckless abandon, with all that we've got. Responding today in surrender. God, I want to give me, you more of me this morning. Let's seize the opportunity. Let's do what we can, yes, but let's do it when we can. Don't miss the opportunity to do what, when? When the Holy Spirit prompts you, because that's going to be the time that you need to do it. In fact, if we were to go back to Mark 14 and verse 8, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body before. Can you imagine if you would with me just, if things would have gone differently? Little group of ladies gets together, they're headed out to a garden graveyard. They've got their spikenard, they've got their ointments, they've got the perfume, the things they're going to anoint the body of Jesus with. They're headed to that garden tomb and maybe someone stops them on the way and says, where are you going, ladies? Oh, well, we're going to the tomb of Jesus. You see, it got busy at Passover, and, well, we just never were able to anoint his body. And so we thought maybe we could talk the Roman guards into just for a minute moving the tomb just enough. We, we were going to beg them and see if they would just move the, 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 the door to the tomb to get us in, the stone, so that we could get in and anoint his body. We're hoping that they'll comply. Okay. So they finally get to the garden graveyard and they get to the tomb and they notice the stone is already rolled away. They walk into that tomb and the body of Jesus is gone. He's risen from the dead just like he said. You see, if they would have waited, it would have been too late. But Mary, Mary had already taken care of it. She had anointed his body beforehand for the burial. What does this tell us? That procrastination is a form of disobedience. When we don't do what we can, when we can, when we procrastinate, when we say, well, I'll do that later, well, I'll go to church next week, well, I'll worship next time, well, I'll do that next time, well, I know God wants me to do that, but I, you know what, not this time. When we put it off, that opportunity may never happen again. May we be so sensitive to the voice of God that we worship Him as as we were admonished by our worship pastor this morning. This is not just a 15-minute session of worship. Every week we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God this morning. This is the reasonable thing for us to do to worship Him all day long. One last thing. Not only was she an ordinary person and an observant person and an oblivious person and an obedient person, but she, number five, was a person who went over and above. She wasn't interested in just giving Jesus a little dabble, do you? She wasn't interested in just kind of a little touch of it. I don't know where she got it. Verse number three. While she was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, the woman came in with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask. And she poured it out over his head. I don't know where she got it. Maybe from a hope chest. Maybe she got it from her retirement account, her 401k, if I could put it in terms that you and I would understand. Maybe she dipped into her 401k. They said, you know what? It's time to bless Jesus with something that he's given to me. All I know is this. I know it was her most precious treasure. I know that. And I know that she broke it. I know that she poured it out lavishly, extravagantly over the head of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 in verse number 7, where he said this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So, So question class, what are the earthen vessels in this passage? Answer, me. I am the earthen vessel. You, in this passage that the Apostle Paul is teaching us here is that we are the earthen vessel. But who is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. So we have this treasure, Jesus, in this earthen vessel. Why do we have it here? That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Until this vessel is broken and Jesus can get out... (laughs) until I'm willing to take myself and pour it out for Jesus, the sweet aroma of all of the, of, the, of the gifts and blessings of Jesus Christ will not be made known to the world. The only way this world is going to know about Jesus is if we as earthen vessels are willing this morning to say, God, here I am broken and spilled out. I don't know what your alabaster box is. But this morning, I ask you to consider identifying what is it that's most precious to you and consider breaking it out this morning. For some, it might be our children. And God, this morning, I want to let you know that whatever you decide to do with my kids, if, it, if you want them to go to the darkest jungle of Africa to be a missionary. They're yours, God. I give my children today. Maybe for some of us, it's our business. It's our money. God, today, this is your business. And I want to be obedient to give as you prompt me to give. Even if it means I'm stretching myself beyond where I'm comfortable. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's some pleasure or habit or addiction or hobby. You're holding on to it. No, that's mine. That's mine. That's mine. Don't, no, not this. You can't have this. This is mine. And Jesus says, Am I not worth it? Look at the cross worth that I want to do this as I close the message I want to go back to the original song on the screen and I want to put the words up for you and I'm going to read them out loud it's probably one of the greatest hymns that's ever been written when I survey the wondrous cross but this hymn I think describes the message better than anything I could ever say or any illustration I could give putting the words on there for me? Of Him. When I survey, when I look at the cross, just look at it for a moment. Close your eyes with me. Would you do that for 10 seconds? I want you to see Jesus on that cross. Just for a moment, would you do that? I think that's what Mary saw when she anointed the head of Jesus. She saw the crowns. When she looked at his hands, she saw the nails. When she looked at his feet, she saw the, the spikes being driven through his feet. Thank you. Look at the words back. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. When you look at the cross and whatever it is that's most important to you the alabaster box doesn't compare does it my richest gain that must have been what mary thought now, this song was written after mary did this but can you imagine mary going and maybe for a moment she looked at that alabaster box and she said this is my most precious treasure but compared to that this is nothing poor contempt on all my pride see a forbidden lord that i should boast saving the death of christ my lord all the vain things remember the message from david allen three weeks ago on vanity of vanity all is vanity all the vain things that charm me the most i sacrifice them to his blood see from his head his hands his feet Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? And then here it is, church. Were the whole realm of nature mine? Well, that would be a present far too small. Love. The love that I see on that cross the love that Jesus had for me, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Love so amazing, so divine. I'll tell you what this demands. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Everything. Church, in this season of chaos in our nation and some disturbance and uncomfortable things and and election year, I get it. I get all of the things that but can i tell you when you go back to his love how amazing it is it demands you and i today not to pledge allegiance more most and high and heavenly above all to our nation but to our savior to our savior this is not necessarily for you and i about who wins this is about jesus has already won and we cast our vote today before we go to the election box. We cast our vote today for Jesus Christ. And we pledge allegiance to him. And we say, he demands my soul, my life, my all. I want to make sure we all understand. Today what Jesus is asking for us is he's asking us to give him what's most valuable to us. So I encourage you this morning, whatever that is, as God speaks to you and you sing this song of surrender, that you would respond if you're not saved this morning, if you don't know Christ, if you've never given your heart and life to Him, would you consider today trusting Christ as your Savior? He wants to save you today. He would love for you today to give your heart and life to Him. He will save you. He will keep you. He will prepare a place for you today in heaven. He wants to save you if you've never trusted Him today. Do that today. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to surrender. And dear God, I pray that you would take this moment, this moment that we reflect back to this incredible story that you told us would be told for all eternity as a memory of that moment when Mary broke the alabaster box and poured it out. God today we come back to that story and we ask you Lord Jesus to help us to be willing to break our alabaster box whatever it is And Father I pray for those here today who do not know you as their Savior that today they would be willing to step out and trust you Lord may they be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit whatever that is Lord our altars are open May we worship you in the next few moments in spirit and in truth. May we respond as you would have us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand again?